Amen, church family. I was over there praying just a few minutes ago before we got started, and, and something kept hitting me over and over again as we were listening to that song. He is the rock. He is the foundation in everything that we build our lives upon, everything that we should be building our lives upon. It ties right into what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, John Wesley, the great evangelist, was about 21 years of age when he went to Oxford University. He came from a Christian home. He was a, a gifted man, very talented man, very keen mind, good looks. Yet in those days, he was a, he was a little bit of a snob and he was a little bit sarcastic. One night, he, uh, something happened in his life that changed his heart. Um, while he was speaking with a porter, he discovered that this poor fellow only had one coat, lived in such impoverished conditions that he didn't even have a bed. And yet he was a very, very, almost unusually happy person for the circumstances. Um, and and he, was, uh, he, he asked the man what, what made him that way, and, and he told him, he says, I, I was... I was very grateful to God. And Wesley, being very immature at the time, uh, thoughtlessly joked about the man's misfortunes, and he kind of looked at him and said, yeah, well, what else do you thank God for? And he said it with this tone of sarcasm. And the porter just smiled, and in this spirit of meekness, he replied with joy to Wesley. He says, I thank him that he has given me a life and a being and a heart to love him, and above all, this constant desire to serve him. And Wesley was deeply, deeply moved, and he recognized that this man knew the true meaning of thankfulness. So we've been talking in Proverbs chapter 30. Remember, Proverbs 1 through 29 were written by uh, were written by Solomon, right? Proverbs 31 was written by a man named King Lemuel, right? Who describes a wife of noble character. But Proverbs 30 is written by a guy that gets overlooked, right? We talked about him a lot last week, and his name was Agur. Um, and in this chapter, you're, you're going to find the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. Um, and I think sometimes that it's remarkable that that prayer is overlooked, uh, last week we considered Agur the prophet and how he reminds us to explore God's word, to seek God's purpose, to appreciate God's undefinability, to ponder God's timeline, and then we looked at to anticipate God's eternity. But we've saved the best for this week, I truly believe. There is a buried treasure here in Proverbs chapter 30. It is a three-verse prayer that delivers a shocking formula for trusting God, discovering His will for our lives. In three verses, we can discover God's will for our lives. So I'm going to ask, if you will, and if you are able, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word as we read through these three quick verses, there's no condemnation if you are not able to do so, but I believe that we stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word together. Beginning, Proverbs chapter 30, beginning in verse 7 through verse 9. Two things I ask of you, don't deny, me, don't deny them to me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. 
Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you. Uh, Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to move in this place, Lord. Uh, Lord, I ask you to hide me behind your cross and let only the words that are spoken be your words today, Lord. And let your Holy Spirit move through our people as it draws us closer to your word, as it draws closer to Jesus and finding our will for your life, for uh, finding your will for our lives. Lord, we love you. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much. What two things is it that Agar asks for in this verse of Scripture? He, asked to, he has identified his top two personal weaknesses. Two things that he struggles with, this mo- with this, the most. Excuse me. My brain and my tongue will get in sync at some point during this message. I apologize. He's, he's, he's two things that he struggles with in his life. Discerning truth, owning stuff. Agur then turns around and does for himself what he has recommended for others in these verses of Scripture. He looks to the Lord for wisdom. He humbly depends on God for wisdom by asking for it in prayer. In fact, James chapter 1 verse 5 says, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, what should we do? He should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Agar asks two things that he knows he cannot produce on his own. He's saying that in his own power, he cannot be an honest or content person. He says he will depend on God to grant those things because his own human efforts can't save him from deception and from greed. We learn a lot from that. Uh, we learn a lot from this that that power does not reside in each one of us. And so, I want you to see this morning, as we open up the scripture and as we look, that seeking truth and balance in your life is what God wants for you, and that you can find it by living out His will. You can find it by living out His will. They all go together. We're going to look at these things together. Number one, discerning truth. I want us to understand discerning truth. Agur prays, keep falsehoods and lies far from me. You can almost hear his thought process as he goes through this, as he's praying, as he's saying, I know the world is filled with lies, and they try to trip me up way too often. Father in heaven, please protect my ears from hearing lies that might lead me down the wrong path. And he says, keep my lips from lying so that I might not deceive others. That's what he's saying. I think Agur is on to something. I think truth matters. There is truth. We can know it. It sets us free. Satan is the father of lies. He's been obscuring the truth since the Garden of Eden. And we know how that turned out. He didn't lie. Satan didn't lie. All he did was he called into question the truth that God had given Adam and Eve. He came to him and said, Surely God didn't say you would die if you ate of that fruit. The truth of the matter is, is that from a physical standpoint, eating the fruit didn't cause immediate death. What it did cause was immediate spiritual death. 
there was now separation from God because of the sin, because of the disobedience that had entered into the world. Agar recognizes God is the source of virtue and integrity. He wants us on the winning team. That comes from hearing truth, discerning truth, speaking truth. But we have this problem in the world. And it shouts at us every time that we open up the news or watch TV. See, because there's, there's now two kinds of truth in the world. There's the truth, and then there's my truth. And this is the fight that has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. It's just in recent years have we labeled it. We've given it its own little moniker. See, it's not the truth anymore. It's my truth. It's what I believe. I can believe that that pew is purple with pink polka dots. And by the way, if that ever happens, I know y'all are going to fire me. We're not going to have that in the, in the church. Don't worry. But I can believe it all day long. To me, that's my truth. Is it the truth to the rest of the people in this room? No. It's simply not. I have been convicted over the past week about speaking truth. I have a very good friend of mine, a pastor in town, whose Facebook page has been taken down. Their church's Facebook page has been taken down because he spoke the truth. So as my old pastor used to say, go ahead and flag the tape, get ready, because here we go. God's truth is the only truth that matters. And I know that is not a popular opinion in this world. And I know one of the other popular opinions in this world is that we got to go along to get along. Church family, I'm telling you, that is a lie from the pit of hell. And if we don't stand up for God's truth, if we don't stand up for God's truth, then we're no different than the people who are dressing in ways that they shouldn't be dressing. They're acting in ways that they shouldn't be acting. And they're calling themselves things that are just untrue. Now that is not an unloving position. We have lost the ability to understand what hard love is all about. I treated my children with hard love. When the truth didn't line up with what their truth, what they said their truth should be, then we got out the truth and we understood. We came to an understanding in our family. And if other consequences were required, then we took care of it. 
You see, the truth of the matter is, the truth is that parents, God doesn't want you to be your, fr- your, your child's friend. He has called you to be their parent. And that means sometimes they're not going to like you. And that means, children, sometimes we're not going to like you either. But out of a deep, abiding, sacrificial love for you, we have told you the truth. There's not enough of that going on. I remember in my day when I was growing up, yes, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, I understand, youth group, they're all looking at me. Yes, in a day when I actually possessed hair on the top of my head. Boys used to play with G.I. Joes and tanks and trucks, and that was okay. And girls used to play with dolls and strawberry shortcakes and My Little Ponies and all of that kind of stuff. And you know what? It was okay. It was perfectly fine. Why? Because all of those companies had figured out something that we now deny. That girls are girls, and by and large want to play with girl things. And that boys and bo- are boys, and they just want to destroy things. Right? But we've come across a day now where what I just said, if it were put in front of enough people, and I'm trying, I want them to be in front of enough people. I want them to come and try to cancel me. I want them to come and take our Facebook page down. I want them to come and take our YouTube page down. Because I want a platform to be able to stand up in front of everybody and say, hey, there's a difference between love and truth and bowing down to what this world says is going to be okay. Because God's truth is different from my truth. In fact, he said it. Jesus said it. He said it in John chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. Where Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Again, words that seem very unkind to this culture. It's not your way of getting everything that you want. It's not his way. It's not that way. It's not way. It's God's way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So if you happen to stop seeing updates on our Facebook and YouTube page in the next couple of weeks, this was the moment. This was the moment that we, as Calvary Baptist Church, 
chose to love the people of this world by telling them the truth. That they were made in the image of an infallible, inerrant God who does not make mistakes, did not put you in the wrong body, did not put you in the wrong circumstances, but put you in a place of which we're going to get to in just a moment where you find balance in your life by doing God's will. That's the second thing we're going to look at this morning. It's balance. You see, at the beginning of Agur's prayer, it's sort of universal, right? After all, everybody wants to know what's really true. Even crooks and liars, they may ignore the truth. We may ignore the truth. But we know what it is. But Agur's next request is a little bit of a stunner. He dares to pray for a life of moderation. A life of moderation. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Moderation. How many of you have moderation on your checklist this morning? Yeah, it's not, a, again, not a popular concept in today's world, right? We don't see it. Uh, we live in an age of extremes. Bigger is better, more houses, more cars, more closet space. More shelves for more trophies, more activities, more responsibilities so you can gain more and more and more and more and more. But on the flip side is the other extreme, right? We see this as well. There's an entire subculture choosing to live as minimalists. Maybe you know somebody is cutting up their credit cards. They're cleaning out their closets, right? They're downsizing into micro apartments and tiny houses and all of those kinds of things. But Edgar isn't isn't endorsing either one of those things. N neither one. He does not endorse fast or slow, big or small, fancy or simple. He simply says this. He has identified a balance. The perfect mixture of getting what you need and needing what you get. And in fact, I read out of the CSB this morning, there's actually a, a when you go into the original language and you this is one of the places where I think the CSB, one of the only places, that it didn't quite get it right. Because what it actually says when you translate it, he sums it up by saying, give me only my daily bread. He prays to God, give me only my daily bread. Because you see, his peers would have instantly connected his prayer to the daily manna that God provided to the Israelites when they were in the desert. Y'all remember what happened? Right? Manna would come down early in the morning. Right? They would eat only what they needed. They couldn't store it up because what would happen? It would spoil. Right? So they only took exactly what it needed. It, it, exactly what they needed. I wish we could get to a point where we desired what we needed. Only what we needed. And listen, your, your, your pastor is guilty as well. I, 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 am a, I am a technology buff. I love this stuff. I love how it's all interconnected together. I love how I can sit in my office and work on my sermon. I can go home, pick up right where I left off without having to shoot files around all over the place. 
I can be at the ball field with Anna Grace when she's out there practicing. I can pull it up on my phone and I can work on things. I, we, we, we live in a connected world and I'm a sucker for all of it. Okay? I think it's cool. I think it's neat. But I realize sometimes that that's not what God wants for us. He does not want all of that for us. Not too much, not too little, just a balance. Think about it a couple of ways. Number one, exercise, right? We can get into extremes in exercise, right? We're either living at the gym, taking steroids, or we're a couch potato and we're going to move right along. The next one, work, right? Don't laugh at me, honey. Don't laugh at me. She's been trying to get me to go to the gym for two weeks. Look at work, the extremes of work. You're either not even looking for a job or not even trying to live up to your potential. The flip side is being a workaholic and missing out on your family. Your hobbies. Keep it to yourself. What about your hobbies? Is your hobby an obsession that makes you max out your credit cards and cuts you off from the rest of the world? Or is it something that makes you a better person, something that you can share with other people? Do you see how important it is to find contentment? Your daily bread, no more, no less. Your finances, your health, your relationships, your activities, your emotions, they all have a balance. Even with romance and a marriage, a husband and wife need to find a mutual balance to meet each other's needs. Edgar's prayer for, his, for only his daily bread was written down almost a thousand years before Jesus Christ walked the earth. And yet today we recognize that phrase from the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. These words are comfortable. And we nod our heads. Yes, Lord, meet our daily needs. But the thing is, again, that's not what Edgar prayed. That's not what he prayed. He prayed only. Only. My daily bread. And that introduces us to an entirely deeper level of trust that we need to have. It takes a bit of courage to pray, God, give me only my daily bread. Why, by the way, would anybody pray that way? Well, when you look in verses 8 and 9, you begin to understand. The second half of verse 8 says, Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Feed me only with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. Agar identifies his weakness. His weakness was stuff. He knew if he had too much, he'd take credit for it himself. I don't need God, after all. If he had too little, he would steal and dishonor God. Agar was asking for his cash flow to be just right. And to be clear, money was not the problem. Money itself was not the problem. It was Agar's emotional attachment to the money. Because contrary to popular belief, the Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You see, the end of that verse doesn't describe specific results. But it finishes, some people craving money 
have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Agar is praying in essence, Lord, keep me dependent upon you. Having complete trust in you is the balance that I want to live. He's saying, I can't do life. I don't want to do life, Lord, without you. But how many of us are truly willing to get up every day and say that? Lord, I only want life with you. And whatever that entails down here, let it be. The last thing I want you to see this morning is that contentment leads to power. Contentment leads to power. Having more than we need, having less than we need, both of those extremes become difficult in our lives. But somewhere in between is that beautiful concept known as contentment. You see, the theme of contentment pops up several times in the Bible. First and foremost, the most prevalent and probably the best explanation for it comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. It says this. It says, I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. With all of this talk about contentment and staying away from your extremes, you're thinking, is it best to play it safe? There's no passion. It's boring. Right? I understand. God has called us to be doer of great deeds. He's called us to be the kind of people who live by a verse. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. We recognize that, right? The interesting thing is, those two verses go together. They're Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. You see, writing Philippians 4, 13 under your eye and your eye black or on the inside of your glove does not make you win a ball game. That verse is taken out of context because what it truly says when you put the two verses together into a complete thought, it says this, I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. This is the truth. I am able to do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Whether you have thought or whether you have a little contentment in who you are as a child of God is what gives you strength. Settling into God's will gives you confidence to be bold. You're trusting Him. You're finally understanding that God will provide every single need. He cares for you and loves you the way you are. The pressure's off. You don't have anything to prove. God isn't impressed with your Rolex watch or your washboard abs. Thank you, Jesus. He's not impressed with your corner office. He's not impressed with your collection of rare garden gnomes. 
God isn't even impressed with the $100,000 that you gave to the church. Okay, I'll try it on this side. God is not impressed with the $100,000 that you gave to the... I thought I'd try. I thought I'd try. But He loves you. And He is inviting you through a relationship with Jesus Christ to come and find His will for your life. He has provided it. And what we have to seek is contentment. Prepare our hearts for the contentment that being in God's will is going to provide for us. God's will is not boring. It's empowering. Drawing near to God, resting in Him, trusting in Him is the one place from which you can launch a career, a marriage, a plan for your business, your education, your family, and do it in a way that God is glorified. Bouncing off the guardrails of life, living in the extremes, you're never going to find your future. You're never going to find contentment. But by choosing to depend on God alone for your daily needs, you become more like Him. I want to close with this this morning. I want you to understand that right now, as a child of God, sold out to Jesus Christ, repented and trusting in Him, you are fully equipped to answer God's call. As a matter of fact, He has been preparing you to meet a specific set of challenges that were put out and set up even before you were born. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. You are his workmanship. You are his craftsmanship. He has put you together perfectly. And he has prepared you for your own work. And with that in mind, here's the sweet spot of the deal. It's the answer to the proverbial question, what am I supposed to do with my life? What am I supposed to do with my life? It's about balance. God is not asking you to careen back and forth without a GPS, headlights, or brakes. God wants you to use your gifts to glorify Him. Whatever you're good at, use it for the glory of God. If you can dance, dance. If you can sing, sing. If you can write, write. If you build, then build. If you can plant, then plant. Listen, if you're just good at giving hugs, then give hugs, but do it for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's God's will. God's will is not some big, huge thing that we're supposed to be aiming for somewhere in 5, 10, 15 years down the road. Here's what God's, what God's will is. Find where I am moving and get involved. That's God's will. And He will use every gift that He has given you to bless others around you and to bless you in return. You are God's workmanship. He created you. He gave you a natural giftedness. And it's a gift that you can give back to Him.
Because if we do things in the name of God, knowing God, trusting God, then one day we will hear. Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, I will announce to them, if we do not do it in His will, forgive me, I read my notes wrong, if we do not do it in His will, if we're doing it for our own glory, we're going to hear, depart from me. I never knew you. Because you see, God's design is perfect. We see beauty, we see purpose, we see evidence in God's design everywhere around us. The Bible tells us that God planned a world that worked absolutely perfectly, where everything and everyone fit together in perfect harmony. We're made with a purpose. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Genesis chapter 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the works of his hands. Psalm 19 verse 1. But life doesn't work when we ignore God and his original design for our lives. It doesn't work. We selfishly insist on doing our own things our own way, and the Bible calls that sin. We all sin. We all distort God's original design. And the consequence of that sin is separation from God, both in this life and in eternity. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then in chapter 6 and verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, sin leads us to a place of brokenness. We see this all around us and in our lives as well. When we realize that life isn't working, we begin to look for a way out. We tend to go in so many different directions trying to find our own way of fixing our own problems. Brokenness leads us to a place of realizing that we need something greater. Romans chapter 1, 25 says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what had been created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. So at this point, we need a remedy. We need some good news. Because of His love, God did not leave us in our brokenness. Jesus, God in human flesh, came to us and lived perfectly according to God's design. Jesus came to rescue us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He took on our sin and shame on the cross, paying the penalty for that sin by His own death. And then He was raised from the dead to provide the only way for us to be rescued and restored to a relationship with God. Because you see, God loved us so much that He sent His only Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14 says he erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. But listen to me, church family, simply hearing this good news is not enough. We must admit our sinful brokenness and stop trusting ourselves. 
We don't have the power to escape our brokenness and our, on our own. We need to be rescued. We must ask God to forgive us. Turning from sin and trusting only in Jesus, that's what it means to repent and to believe. Because you see, believing, we receive new life through Jesus and God turns our lives in a new direction. Mark 1.15 says, Repent and believe the good news. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is a gift, not from works, so that no one could boast. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. When God restores our relationship to Him, we begin to discover meaning and purpose in our broken world. We find God's will for our lives. Now we can pursue God's design in all areas of our life. Even when we fall and even when we fail, we understand God's pathway to be restored. The same good news of Jesus. God's Spirit empowers us to pursue His design and He assures us of His presence in this life and for all of eternity. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good purpose. Ephesians 2.10 We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for us to do. So what do we do? If you have been away from God, you've trusted Him at some point, but you are bouncing off the guardrails. You have no direction. You need to trust the truth of Jesus Christ that He is the only way. It's not of our own thinking. It's not of our own way. Get out of the way and let God do the work in your life. And we find balance. Contentment. Understanding that no matter what this world brings to us and provides for us, that God provides even more. He provides perfectly what we need. In every day, in every way, God provides. And when we live in that contentment and we find peace in that contentment and that balance in our lives, we have power. Then we have power that God has given us to be able to do things, all things, through Him when we are working in His will. So church family, if that's something that you have been missing in your Christian life, then I encourage you, pray to God, repent, and say, Lord, I'm ready to live for you. I'm ready to live in the balance and the wonderful peace and contentment that you have created for me, and all I have to do is just trust in you for everything. If you want that kind of peace in your life, that kind of contentment in your life and you don't know how to get it, can I share with you, I just told you, it's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Trusting what He did on the cross for us. Putting our trust in Him. God wants you to respond this morning. And you could take Him at His word and you can talk to Him using words like these. God, my life is broken. 
I recognize that it's because of my sin and I need you. I believe Christ came to die, to live, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. I know that Jesus is Lord of all and I will follow him. Confess with your mouth. The Bible tells us if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Father God, we love you. And we praise you and we trust you. Father, help us to find the contentment in our life that we're not bouncing off the walls, that we find truth in your word and nowhere else. And that we put it into action in our lives. We apply it by faith into who we are. Lord, we trust you. We seek balance in our lives. The peace and contentment that only you provide. And Lord, we do that by finding where you are moving and we get involved. We get involved. We use the gifts and the talents that you have given us, Lord God, for your kingdom and for your glory. Not of our own, not of anything that we could do because at that point we just start bragging about it and we don't give glory to you Lord if there's someone in this room who knows you who loves you who is a child of God who has devoted themselves to you but Lord they've been bouncing off the walls trying to find contentment in their life Father I pray that they would find peace in your word that they would trust your word and everything that you have. And Father, I pray that they would seek out to find this balance that you have for us in our life. Because we can talk about it, we can pray about it, but if we don't seek after it and keep our eyes fixed on you and not around anything else, then it's just words that we're speaking. And there's no action behind it. But Father, I also realize that there may be people in here who have never truly repented, never truly given themselves to you. And Lord, I'm praying for them this morning. If they spoke those words, if they repented and said, I believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and that I can't do it on my own, I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven. If they've done that this morning, Lord, then, then right now there's a celebration in heaven going on with thousands of angels. But I pray that they would let us know that they would not feel embarrassed or, or hindered in any way. That they would let us know as a church family, let me know, so that we can celebrate with them. There's no greater thing in life that, than when one is raised from the death of who we were raised to the new life in Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you. And we just want to praise you for who you are in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen.